Hello and you're very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today in the studio, I'm joined by Maeve Finnegan, Managing Director of Mitso Marketing. How are you today, Maeve? I'm great. How are you? I'm brilliant and you're you're looking fabulous. So (laughs) before we begin, Maeve, I always give people a little bit of a a background to you and your business. So Maeve is an MCIM accredited and a certified intertrade consultant with a wealth of experience delivering cross-border brand and digital projects. She's a member of Newry Chamber Council and regularly speaks at events, including the Small Business Conference for Newry Chamber of Commerce and the Federation of Small Businesses. Now, in 2016, Maeve founded Mitso, an award-winning brand and digital agency with clients in Ireland, the UK and Bermuda. But more on that uh, later. Since then, the agency has grown to a team of five with clients including Quilka Boardwalk, or the Stairway to Heaven, Obelisk, Pure Pharmacy, and Suki T, who've also been in this studio. Maeve is also a part-time lecturer in Dundalk Institute of Technology and has also guest lectured at Queen's University in Belfast. Now, a little bit of information for you. Outside of the office, Maeve previously toured the world for four years as a professional dancer with Riverdance the Show. And she's also a very busy mum of three. Well, what an introduction, Maeve, and what a life you have had. I know you now have three little ones, four, two and seven months. And yeah. has, that been, has that been your biggest challenge to date? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The work-life balance is, is certainly hard to achieve. Yeah. OK, well, let's go back a bit again and just tell us a bit about where you're from and how you get into doing what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Jonesborough, a little village in South Armagh. I grew up the youngest of um, four siblings, well, three siblings, including myself. Um, I came from a very hard-working family. My mum was a nurse. My dad uh, ran his own kitchen company. Um, my um, siblings were very, very successful. We had a very sort of um, strong work ethic in the house. We had a fantastic childhood. Um, and I very much sort of looked up to my brothers and sisters as I grew up. Um, I ended up, I went to St Paul's High School in Bestbrook. I absolutely loved it. I thrived there. And thanks to a very good sort of careers teacher at the time, Miss Black, she advised me to do, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And she advised me to um, look into a course called Communications, Advertising and Marketing in Jordanstown. So I did that and I said, I remember specifically her pointing it um, out in the prospectus and I just said, that's it, that's what I'm doing. Um, I ended up then studying that in University of Ulster in Jordanstown and I had a fantastic placement year in a, a company called Poster Management Limited which is an outdoor advertising firm in Belfast and I had a brilliant year there and I absolutely loved it and I thrived there and I went back to study final year and subsequently as I left university I sort of I remember having a bit of a panic attack with my mum and <laughs> um, said, you know, I really still don't really know what I want to do out of this. And I think not so much from the point of view of, uh, you know, I was totally clueless, but there were so many avenues 
and I didn't know where to take it. Mm. So she said, look, Maeve, you know, just relax and um, go and do your, your job in the doctor's surgery for the summer and just, you know, take your time. So that's exactly what I did. And I ended up getting a phone call from an agency called Ad House in Belfast to offer me a job. I had worked with them in my placement year. And subsequently, a couple of days later, I, I, as life um, goes, I got a, a phone call from Riverdance <gasps> to join the tour um, that December to China. So oh my word. So all of these opportunities <laughs> yeah. were suddenly all there. Yeah, yeah. And I had been, you know, a dancer since I was three. Um, all my, my brothers and sisters danced. My mum danced. Um, she said I used to be a pain in the backside because I would be dancing and I'd be practising like when I was three years of age at all the fashions. So I was pretty obsessed with it and it kind of went hand in hand with everything I did at school or anything I was doing. I was always dancing um, by myself. But how did that opportunity actually come about then? How did they know about you? Well, so my, I suppose my aim at the time was always to win in All-Ireland. That's what I was working towards my entire life. I ended up, I won two Ulster Championships um, under 16 and senior ladies or under 18 actually and senior leaders. So, so I was a kind of a late bloomer. And um, I left and I went to university and actually when I went to New York one of the summers out of university um, just for a summer holiday, uh, I got picked to audition. So you had to send in like an audition tape and pictures of yourself and all this really cringy stuff. <laughs> and what they did at the time was a group audition, so you had to go with a group and audition on stage. But because I was away, they offered me the chance to do my own audition after that because I'd missed the date. But what ended up happening is I actually had to do my own audition in front of Brenton de Galli, who was mm. principal dancer at the time, on my own on the stage in the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin. <laughs> so it was How a big, daunting was that? Big, yeah, big time daunting. Um, but luckily enough then, I was really, really lucky because they obviously liked what they saw and I was offered to come and what they call train in. So training in essentially consists of five days of pure hell <laughs> where they put you through the rigour. Um, and they, you know, make you do all the steps and learn everything and learn the show essentially. Um, but I'll never forget. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. I enjoyed every minute of it, but it was just extremely hard. Mm. And I'll never forget coming up um, O'Connell Street, um, and it was lashing rain, and I was sweating and I was bleeding, and you know my my heels had oh, been torn off me, and it was just it was just tough. I think it was just kind of a test. You know, for stamina. As well? I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, What am I doing? You know, am I cut out for this? And then again, then about a year later I was offered then the position to, to join to go to um China on my first tour. So you'd heard nothing between O'Connell Street and Tears yeah. with the blood <laughs> yeah. to this offer. Yeah, because in actual fact that's actually quite quick. So oh. a lot of people yeah, a lot of people they could wait years on a position and it's just Sometimes as people leave the show or new people join or they have different requirements, say, for example, um, they need taller people or smaller yes. people or, you know, just uh, what they're sort of um, seeking at the because time. Because it's that kind of group look, isn't it? Everybody it is, has to yeah. be sort of the yeah. same. Consistent. Consistent. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. isn't that so interesting? I know, yeah. So I take it your mum didn't say, oh, no, 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 pick the proper job. She said, <laughs> the dancer in her said, go for it. Yeah, well, my brother actually had joined. He had been in the show for many years before that. Oh, I see. But he had actually just been a part-time member. So he was a part of um, what they call a flying squad. So essentially they would phone him up. And he was in the show at the time when it was really, really big. And I'm not to say... So what know, year would this have been then? Oh, my God. It was back in the early 2000s. He was in it anyway, or, or even before that, actually. Right. 
But he went to DCU and he did act three, but they could phone him sort of on a weekend and, and they'd say, you know, do you want to go to China next <sighs> week or do you want to, you know, whatever, go to all over Europe? And he would just take time at uni or catch up or whatever and do it. So I had that experience and I think... So mom, amazing. Yeah. And then mum was just like, of course, like mm-hmm. go and do it. And at the time I thought it was just a temporary thing. It was just for a couple of months. I didn't think that it would turn into like my full time career. Um, and as I went to the show, I did sort of dip in and out of jobs, obviously, in, you know, in, in gaps between tours as well. So I kept my hand in um, to what I knew would be my long term career in, in comms. So you actually spent four years touring the world. Where did you go? What did you see? And what was it actually like? Did you still cry and have bleeding <laughs> heels or did it get easier? Um, so my first tour was incredible. I will never forget it. And they were the most transformative years of my life because I soon and, and very quickly realised that there was a life outside of sitting nine to five in a job that suited my creativity. It's it's for a lot of people. It just wasn't necessarily for me. And I soon realised that you can make money and you can earn a keep doing something that's a wee bit more dynamic and flexible. And, you know, I'd, I'd sort of met a lot of dancers or stage managers or, or musicians or, you know, really, really interesting top sort of really intelligent people and I thought you know it's okay if I decide then to go back and do something out of the ordinary and I don't become a lawyer don't become a teacher without you know like those sort of um, vocational careers and and not to have that pressure so I think that's one of the things I, I, f- I very quickly learned. So liberating as well and as Absolutely. well coming from you know a small place in Northern Ireland yeah kind of just post the troubles you probably grew up and all of that was going on you suddenly yeah. were free. Yeah absolutely and I was in the midst of the most wonderful, amazing dancers you'll ever meet and really disciplined people. And Were I they came, all from the island of Ireland or? Um, no, all no, over. So America, them. Australia, um, the UK, um, the island of Ireland. And, you know, I, I also was catapulted, I suppose, from Calavi Hall, where I practiced all my life, <laughs> to now being with world champions and people who really took this seriously. And I'm not saying, you know, that we didn't take it seriously, but it was very disciplined, very um, professional. So when I went on my first tour to China, we seen we did like 13 cities in three and a half months, which was actually quite um, a small tour in comparison to then um, subsequently I did tours of America and Canada and there were like 83 cities in four and a half months Oh my um, we went to Inner Mongolia we performed for the <sighs> Kazakhstanian president's 60th birthday we performed in the desert with Mariah Carey in Egypt um, we were in Dubai we were God, you name it, I've seen it So, and what, you know that river dance phenomenon obviously started out with Michael Blatley and Gene Butler and all of those things. But what was it about Riverdance that just everybody in the world loved it and they just wanted you to come and dance for them? Yeah. Um, do you mean sort of what do you think the appeal to Riverdance yeah, is? Uh-huh. Um, I think... If you go, I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, have you? Or? Oh yes. Well, yeah. not, do you know what? I haven't seen it live. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it on the TV. Yeah. When when you see it live, there's just something about it. Mm. It's very emotional, actually, when you watch it. Um, there's a lot of pride that you feel when you're watching it. Um, it's very in tune with the history history of Ireland. There's also what people don't realize other cultures in it. So there's Russian dancers, there's Spanish dancers, there's American tappers. So it's a mix of everything, and I think the music is absolutely beautiful, and that's a big appeal as well. Um, 
But for me, I suppose, you know, it was something that I just absolutely loved doing and performing. And I actually didn't realise there's there's a big difference between competing and performing. Yes. And when we competed, you know, you were very straight arms, very straight laced and, you know, everything was. Whereas when I even tried to do some of the arm movements, it took me like at least two months to learn some of them um, and to really learn how to perform. Was a, was a big difference for me. And that discipline and everyone together. I mean, yeah. how hard was that? Um, and what, did you get good days and off days? Yeah, absolutely. So we had actually numbers on the floor and they would record the show every single night. And, you know, if you if they would know if you were off, off your number or off your lines um, and everything was precision orientated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've carried that through my career, that sort of high standard and that discipline was amazing for me and everybody wanted to do their very best on that stage every night there was no one who were, who was you know maybe taking it a step down you had to give your best and your all but there were days that I remember particularly on those long American Canadian tours where you would wake up and your feet would just be in agony or your body but we were really well looked after like we had a masseuse we had physios we had time off you know downtime and um, but yeah no it was intense This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business law practice located in the heart of Newry City. We provide legal advice and representation to individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries on an assortment of legal matters which can affect a business such as corporate, commercial, employment, dispute resolution, regulatory and compliance. We focus on providing legally sound, commercial and practical advice to our clients. To get in touch, contact 028-30-262200 or visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk to find out more about the firm and our services. And as you say, you've carried, um, you know, those high standards with you, but they take their toll too, I'm sure. And, you know, can you really always give your best 100% every day? Yeah, well, I think that's sometimes what you learn. I think what I actually did learn also, so maintaining those high standards was really important, but I actually learned that rest is also really important so that, you know, when you take a step back or you have your rest days, it's a wee bit like exercise. You know, there's mm-hmm. no point in exercising six, seven days a week. It doesn't make sense. You need to take a step back and you need to sort of rest. And that's what I do try and do. And particularly having three kids so so close together, what I've learned is that it's okay to step back and it's okay to let your team um, do what they do and to trust your team um, and to be able to delegate. And that's what I've learned as well, you know, very much so that as long as you work really, really hard, but you set out those times and those hours for, for rest and, and just getting back to sort of base again. And you can switch off. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. You have to nearly unlearn yeah. all of those behaviours. So I'm going to move on from Riverdance yes. in just a second. But from that time, what was the highlight? The highlight, um, I actually, would you believe, <laughs> I actually approached the executive producer um, and there was a, a number in the show at the time called Trading Taps and it was synonymously just performed by male dancers in the show. So there were three uh, male Irish dancers and two male tappers and it was about the sort of like, it was nearly like a dance off between Irish dancing and tap dancing 
And I just sort of simply asked the question, you know, have you ever considered a female doing this? Um, and, you know, I love the music and I love the, the number and the steps and everything. And it doesn't doesn't have to be me. I'm not saying it has to be me, but just have a female do it or, you know, be involved. And he said, do you know, I've never actually thought about it. I'm going to go away and think about that. So I think a couple of weeks later, I got an email to say, look, we're going to try you doing it. And and I'll, I had already knew the steps, so I was just kind of thrown in. And, and, and you got that gig? Yeah. And the I first think, woman? Yeah, I think it was the first Irish female anyway to do that. But it was something I'm very, very proud of. I'm sure you are. Brilliant. Go Maeve. Right then, so what happened after four years? So yeah, as I said, um, I did, you know, I, I, I just wasn't a dancer full time. So, and I always had that vision in my head that I, at the end of the day, I only thought I'd be away in tour for a couple of months um, I didn't think it would last that long. So I always had a vision for what I wanted to do and what I wanted my career to be was was um, was in digital and comms. So I did work in Ad House. I went back to work for PML for a while. I worked in Colin Glen. I also had a placement in Crow Park in Dublin. So I really kept my feet in the door with a lot of, mm-hmm. of that. And once I left the show, I actually, I met my then husband, my now husband, and then um, just before my final tour, so I'd made the decision, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. And I went to China, come back, um, and we moved to Liverpool quite shortly after. I worked for a really big electricity firm over there and had a ball, lived in Liverpool for a couple of years. And then we decided we wanted to move home. So we had a long discussion about, you know, what we wanted to do for our future, where do we want to live and um, what our plans were and and. It was funny because we, we had a long conversation about setting up on our own, both of us. Um, uh, Niall, my husband, wanted to do it and I also had an ambition to do it. But again, wasn't hadn't a clue. Where and do he's I start? in construction. And he's in construction, yeah. So he um, ended up setting up his own con- construction firm and at the time I thought, you know, I'm going to set out as a, a loan consultant and I'll offer support in digital marketing and social and content management. So I met a guy that we knew at the time who had his own recycling machinery firm. And he was after somebody to look after his social media. I also did a bit of a, a work with the um, construction firm that Niall was working for at the time. And it literally just organically grew from there. He wow. bought me like an iPad for my 30th. And I literally worked on the iPad for like four years. <laughs> no computer. Yeah, no computer, no, no office. I actually was looking back last night. I wrote an article in 2017 about the fact that people sort of look down on, on anyone working from home, which is so ironic. Gosh. <laughs> because I look at us all now. Yeah, and I worked from home for a number of years. Um, I worked for in coffee shops, you name it, I worked there. Um, and it was very, very lonely. Oh, was it? You didn't quite like that? I did because I knew that that's what it took to really sort of um, figure out where I was going, try and get business, to not have lots of overheads that I didn't need. So there was no point in me renting an office space when I wasn't really sure, you know, where this was going to go or where I was going to end up with it. Um, So I did at the time said, you know, I don't mind working from home and I love the flexibility of it as Mm -hmm. well. But a lot of people did say to me at the time, you know, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what is it you're doing? More that they didn't understand what yeah, you were doing? Yeah, probably they didn't understand and probably, God love my mum and dad, um, probably didn't know if there was much security in what I was doing as well mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. So, And how did Mitso begin? Yeah, so as I said, I literally started off as a loan consultant 
um, I gradually grew sort of a client base, very, very small businesses. I had nobody else working with me and I quickly realised that, you know, working as a loan consultant was lonely. So I became Intertrade approved um, consultant. I um, signed up to become a part-time lecturer. I built a network of freelancers because I couldn't do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, very slowly... Um, built up a client base across Ireland and the UK um, I had a, a really good friend approach me to work on an esports project um, across Ireland and the UK in, in multiple different venues and it was very much about communications, PR, event management and at the time I was pregnant with my first child and I knew I needed support so I brought on my first full-time member of staff um, who God love her again we had no office at the time so again we're working from home. She's still with you? She's not actually. She left she to go to on. Australia. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's way in Australia, but uh, Roisin, and we had a ball because it was a fantastic project. But it opened a couple of doors for us as well. Um, we then started to uh, rent like a flexi space in Uri. I had another girl then join the team as a placement student who's still with me today, called Gira Boylan, um, and we worked in the most random, wonderful projects. But I, I kind of struggled. Well, I actually struggled quite a lot at that time because I had just had my first child, mm-hmm. as I say, trying to manage childcare and, you know, juggle it all. It was really, really difficult. And, um, yeah. I, and I, how did you manage? How did you work out? How is this going to work for me and my family and make sure that I can be the boss that I need to be as well? I was just clueless. Yeah. I really was. And I, I just want to be honest Isn't about that. Everyone? Yeah. Isn't everyone? Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 I want to be honest because I think there's misconceptions about, you know, running your own business and you're fantastic and you have this team and all the rest. And a lot of the time at the beginning in particular, I had no idea what I was doing in terms of where I was going to take this business, mm. what I was going to do with it. So um, strategy and vision. Strategy, vision, plan, you know, and I tried my best and at the time I suppose that's all you can do mm-hmm. and that's all I continue to do every day but you know trying to sort of balance the childcare and business and uh, and make time for everything was was difficult um, but over time I got into my groove um, and then we moved into my dad's office we rented a space there and since then I've taken on um, two more employees so there's a team of five of us now. So how do you think things have changed now? Have you sussed out how to work it? Because you just added a few more uh, babies to the mix as well. Um, I think I have. I think I've, well, to be honest with you, I haven't solely. My team are amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have fantastic childcare. I have fantastic family around me. So I'm incredibly lucky in that way. Um, But I think I've learned how to um, have the balance between the two in the fact that when I come home in the evenings, that's family time. Whereas before I would have worked all hours of the night. And I suppose that's why I'm a wee bit obsessed now with efficiency. Whatever time I do have in work, I use it wisely. And the working smarter. Yeah. It's longer. And it's yes. amazing what you can achieve. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. So have you any tips for us? Any things <laughs> that work really well? Uh, what I've learned is processes and procedures. So when we um, tend to take on a new client, for example that you know it's not full of procedural things at the beginning and you try to quickly onboard a client get a schedule and timeline in place that works for everyone sometimes we'll have to move projects around to make time for things and sometimes things come in last minute but we have a Monday morning meeting um, every month every week 
and we'll all get together and we'll understand priorities and project schedules and things like that. What that allows me to then do is step back and let the team work away. Mm. So I had a good conversation with somebody else, a business owner, who said, you know, do you have dealings with clients on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? And I said, no, because I trust the team. They all have their clients and their projects and everybody gets on with their own um, jobs. Now, that's not to say I don't speak to clients. I do. You've really grown. You've sussed it out. You're working smarter. You're more efficient. Um, so tell us about the different services that Mitsu offers. Um, so we would describe ourselves as a brand and digital agency. And what that means is that we create someone's story, we tell the story and then we sell it through a series of services. So we take on somebody at the very, very beginning um, and what we do is develop their brand identity, um, which is a whole process in itself. We do a lot of research and um, focus groups, data analysis. Um, we get a lot of people, sort of senior people and even further than that into the room, discuss it and really pull it apart and put it back together. Uh, we then create the brand identity. So we have an in-house um, designer who does all that work and key messaging and values. Once all of that is done, we then, um, as a result of that, take it across all collateral. So that could be anything from a brochure to a website to vehicle livery to you name it. Um, anywhere where you see the brand, we would do all that work. And then, as I say, we create the website um, and manage social media um, and their assets and channels. So it kind of comes across a series of paid, owned and earned channels. And once all that brilliant work is done and they've got all the core brand and their their digital channels all set up and managed, we then what we call sort of, well, we like to call it sort of activate or implement um, and sell the story. So what that means is we get a really good understanding of who the customer is and we then push it out and promote the brand and products and services. So that could be anything from digital advertising to email to social um, PR um, uh, basically what fits I suppose the, that particular brand and the customers that we're trying to reach um, so it's a full service model and a holistic approach from start to finish Just talk us through some of the, the clients that you've got on the books right now I, I mentioned a few in the introduction some really lovely projects and you know some really lovely clients to be working with Yeah, um, so we just recently took on Pure Pharmacy there in the south so that's a 20, um, 22 stores I think they have and he, the CEO, has just been shortlisted for EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Brilliant. So we helped um, with a lot of the background work for that with Dave, the owner. Um, so how he, did that come about? Uh, it was a referral, actually. And he, again, asked us to sort of come on board to manage the social media, which then turned into, um, no, we're not doing that. As in, we wanted to do like a full audit and strategy and plan for him. And because we we kind of discovered that you know he was spending money in areas that and he didn't really understand was their return on investment so that's a lot of the stuff that we would do is the background plan and strategy and once we have that we quickly identify that we he needed a new website so that's what we're working on at the moment and we're and that's the thing because a lot of people think they they get now that they have to be marketing and they have to yeah. be they have to be digital. For a long time, that was a difficult um, ask for, for yeah, a lot of yeah. CEOs, but they get it. But then they go, here's the money, now make it happen. So you go in there and you actually step back and you step do that whole audit. So yeah. talk us through that process then. Yeah, so we very regularly have clients who come at different stages in the journey, I suppose. So what we say is our star- services start from the start in terms of the core brand, through to digital and your assets, through to activating your campaigns. So... We create the story, 
we tell the story and then we sell the story. And that's kind of how we see it. Um, so somebody will come to us at various stages, as I say, and all every single time someone approaches us, we will say, let's take a step back. Do you actually know and when's the last time that you assess what's going on, where you're spending money, what the return is, you know, what's happening, who your customers are. And I would say nine times out of ten, people don't really do that work or they don't have oversight of what's actually happening. So that's all the analytics? All analytics and even just sort of really getting to grips with who their customers are. Oh, right. You know, and really understanding them because customers change every change every day. And how do you change. do that? What do you use then? Is it all about the data? Yeah, so a lot of it's data, but also we do research. So we will um, be quite adamant to do like focus groups and surveys and things like that. Um, even in the case of the pharmacy there, you know, we didn't really have access to a lot of data. So then we said, you know, can we do a bit of an internal survey? Because your um, pharmacists and the people who work in the shop floor and your and your stores know your customers better than anybody. We we will not be able to provide that insight, but you guys will. So we did an internal survey with all of the, the team and some of the results that you get are is fantastic. And sometimes it opens a can of worms, but we always are we strongly believe that that's a good can of worms to open. Absolutely. Yeah. So And it improves business. A hundred percent. Because if you don't know your customers and you don't know your business and you don't know your staff or what's happening on the ground, then you know, how can you then go out to promote or sell your story? So as well as pure pharmacy, you've worked with other big brands that many of us will know as well. Yes. So um we operate um across a number of different industries. So the likes of tourism, um so we worked with Quilka Boardwalk Walk. Uh, it was a very different brief actually because it was a conservation project so they're trying to conserve the, bo- the bog land that's the stairway to heaven stairway to heaven yeah, yeah yeah i'm not sure if you've ever done it have you? i haven't no but it's definitely on the old bucket list yeah um so what we were trying to do was um filter people in the right way um and what i mean by that is to get to cur- encourage people to book car parking spaces so we did um, campaign activation around that. So we developed video material, we developed social channels and messages, we developed a new website. And all we were trying to do there was to drive people to the website to book a car parking space, which meant that we could control the traffic on the boardwalk. Because what was happening is, particularly during COVID, there were just hundreds and thousands of people landing at random times throughout yeah. the day. And it was causing a lot of pressure on the bogland. And the whole reason why that boardwalk was created was, was mm. for that conservation. That was unsustainable. And then um, equally um, in construction, for example, we're working with a large construction firm at the moment who've just been bought um, or heavily in, uh, got a lot of investment from a global company. And they decided it was time to revamp their brand. So we've just done an 18 month project with them to completely reimagine and, and re-envisage the, the brand. Um, and roll it out across absolutely everything. So yeah. I find that so interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd love to ask you just one more question about that. Yeah. You know, how do you reimagine a brand or come up with a new brand? You know, what what is the process? It's lengthy, um, but it's worth the time. Um, and a lot of just what we do is we just sit and talk to people. And that could be anybody from internal teams, so senior leadership teams, right down to sort of junior staff. We might do surveys, uh, we will analyse data, so we'll take a lot of insight from, say for example, what searches are people um, doing on Google, what's happening on the website, what is the most um, um, heavily sort of viewed content on their websites. So we really get a picture of who the brand is and who their customers are and their target audience. So we do what we would sort of call a situational analysis 
a lot of research and background and then we would present the findings to the client and if they're happy with that approach we then move on to conceptual designs and visual identity and we would create the identity from that so we would never just start out a project by creating a lovely identity for somebody and and, you know where does that come from you really need to get to grips with who the the brand is and then we take that right through to designing concepts and and key messages and the key messages bit is actually the most sort of interesting part of it I feel is how do you sum up a company or a brand in one line yeah it's extremely difficult yeah Mm. and their values and their mission and vision and it's the most fascinating work because you really sit in a room with even company owners and you say like who are you what do you want to achieve where do you see your future and it, some sometimes they struggle. Well, yeah, you know, it's a big question. It's like that Simon Sinek, isn't yeah. it? Where do you get out of bed in the morning, and why should anyone care? I love that. Yeah. That's a way to sort of go. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what is the purpose of what the they're purpose, doing? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it it it's maybe fine at the start of it. You know, when you're building a business, when people don't really have an awful lot of money, and they just come up with a name and then they run absolutely. with it. But is it always? I mean, why do people rebrand? I would have always thought only if you had some negative publicity would you need to but you know fortune goes into rebranding oh it really does and is it needed to well like take for example the construction client I just spoke about and that's such a good question because a lot of the time it is down to investment and money and can we spend this money is it worth it but here's a couple of examples so why they rebranded was because they've just got investment um, from a global company and they have a global vision but their brand was quite stale and it's Irish owned and mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're historically, you know, just work across Ireland of Ireland. So it looks like a dated brand, if you know what okay. I mean. They're also trying to attract females into the business and it was quite a masculine brand, even the font and the, the bold and the colour scheme and everything. But also it wasn't very modern. And if you're trying to recruit young people into the business as well. So there's three reasons already. Already. Yeah. You know, You've convinced me. Don't forget I even asked that question. I now understand. Yeah. Dave. yeah. Thanks. So you're making a real difference on the ground with businesses. You must feel very proud of what you're able to achieve. Yeah. So I think that to take a, take a step back, the reason I set up Mitsu in the first place was because I was in the room when I had agencies coming in through the door pitching for work. So I was given a budget and said, me, if you need to go now. And, and it was actually a campaign that I was running for um, what to do in a power cut <laughs> and what numbered phone. So random. Um, but I had to recruit agencies, you know, do the research, get them into the room and pitch for the work. And I absolutely fell in love and with that process in terms of like, where does the creative concept come out of? How do you get somebody to, to remember a phone number when they're in the middle of a power cut? How do you get people to, you know, remember what to do? Um, where are those people going to see that message? So how do you then plan out the media? Is it going to be on a bus? Is it going to be radio, TV, digital? If you've only got a limited budget to spend, how do you, you know, understand where Who that is this spent? client? Can you tell us? <laughs> it was actually in-house when I was, was in, in the electri- electricity company in, in England. Gotcha. Yeah, so I had to select the agency then that would take that on and do that piece of work. Ah. So I was the in-house. Ah. And um, I love that as well, being in-house and sort of um, collaborating with them. So that that's where I learned. And did you see that some agencies really were brilliantly creative and others yeah. not so? Yeah, some of them came in and really understood the brief, but took the time to do that. And others, no. And it was a flop. And you're sitting in the room with them and you're thinking, oh God, this is really embarrassing. So that but was great training for it was you. brilliant, yeah. You knew when you were going to pitch that you absolutely did yeah. your homework, first of all. And that 
area of transformation then it's not you know just give us your money and we'll create a website for you or we'll handle your social media we had another client recently who brought us in to do social and we uncovered that you know they were putting a lot of time and resource into organic social without any paid spend behind it and I think it was driving like 0.2% of the traffic to their website and we were like look guys what what are you doing you're not even using email like email could be really lucrative for you to now we manage social slightly and now they're making a 35 times return on an investment in email. Oh my goodness right even there. You know so even things like that where you really uncover and they're delighted. How do you stand out, though, from your competitors? So there's a couple of things there. I think um, up until a couple of weeks ago, I would have said we're female-led, um, but we've a new guy doing the <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, good. So um, it's actually brilliant to have him and have him in the mix. But Changes the dynamic it or It does, yeah. yeah. No, it's brilliant. And he brings fresh perspective and new ways of working, I think, as well, which is it was always a good thing. We won um, Digital DNA e-commerce project of the year, last year and a couple of people in the room commented to us you know it's brilliant to see four ladies up on the stage you know yeah, winning absolutely um but I think that area of transformation is where we stand out it's something I've maybe struggled with for a couple of years is where does our specialty lie and yeah. do we need to be just specialists in one area or is it okay to be you know um delivering a number of different services so what I've tried to do is have specialties so we have a designer we have a web developer we have a comms brand comms we have a digital marketing manager, so we have specialties in each of those areas. And you can be the best in each of those areas. Exactly. And it means that we can give that holistic approach as well. So I think that's where we stand out. And then the final thing, obviously, um, is our location. So I think it's attractive to people both sides of the border that we're like just an hour down the road to Belfast and Uri, or to Belfast and Dublin. Um, and that has been a big competitive advantage for us advantage for us in the south in particular as well and the cross-border we, I mentioned that in the in the introduction um are you seeing here's a controversial question are you seeing more of an all-island approach or is it still very different because you've got you know especially when it comes to advertising or whatever or clients or are you seeing more companies having that all-island reach yeah I do actually um I think even when you look at like the area of recruitment so we know now that people are really struggling to recruit recruit people. And I think ever since maybe Brexit and all the talk about a United Ireland and everything, people are realising how small the island actually is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that it's really easy to do Belfast or, or business both sides of the border. Um, I suppose we're in a unique position where we're placed in that way. It's no bother for us to drive down to Dublin or, or Belfast. Whereas I know that, you know, if you're far north, far south, that maybe doesn't exist, but I think after COVID as well, the revolution of you know digital and the fact that you can um, be anywhere dealing with anybody is also a massive benefit. But that all island approach, I think, definitely for bigger businesses and bigger sort of projects and brands, um, will only continue to be stronger. And is the work the same? The process, the output, all of that, or do you find like it's it is feels like very different countries doing things differently? Yeah, like we did. We had a client, actually, UK based client, um, approached us a couple of years ago um, to manage um, some of their comms, um, and they had an agency actually in England doing doing it at the time. And the reason that they wanted a local agency is because 
um, they were doing things really random and using like language that you just would not mm. use in the North First Society. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I think there'll always be those quirks. Yes, but I think you just have to design design around that mm-hmm. um, and to communicate in a maybe slightly different way. Yes, yes. Well, we definitely communicate differently. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Bermuda. I mentioned the the, the, the the name Bermuda in in the title. So you've clients in the UK, Ireland, and Bermuda. Tell us more, please. <laughs> uh, a random one, I know, but my brother lives in Bermuda, ah, so yeah, it's all about who you know <laughs> yeah, with the connections, yeah. yeah. But he was there for a good number of years Is this before the same one with the dancer. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. And he was there for about six or seven years before he even realised that I actually did what I do. I think, <laughs> and he was like. You do, you do a bit of that brand and marketing, don't you? I think my friend's setting up an IT consultancy out here um, and he needs a bit of help. So he had an established brand, as in he had done his local design and identity, but he had no website, no social media management, nobody doing PR. It's quite a small island. So, I mean, there is only one sort of publication out there, the Royal Gazette. But we did help him to launch the brand into the market um, we did a campaign with him and we still now to this day, we, we developed his website and we still now to this day manage his campaigns and his social media. Now that then grew into a couple other clients um, and then Invest and I, I did get some support with them to do a market research trip out there last year. And I was actually heavily pregnant at the time and I did like nine meetings in two days. I was oh. exhausted, but uh, it is, it's a fantastic place, a beautiful island. Um, and lots of opportunity out there so we're, we're hoping to grow out there as well and hoping to go back there again yeah. you yeah. can enjoy it a little more yeah. you've achieved so much what do you see as being next for you? Um, I think we've only scratched the surface in terms of our capabilities and there's a lot of business out there and I think um, untapped potential I suppose is, is how I describe it our main aim really is the brands and the companies that we work with I want to continue doing brilliant, brilliant work. And that's all I get up for in the morning. And as long as I put my head in the pillow every night and say, we did wonderful work for our clients. Um, And I'd like to also grow our export as well. So what do you like to do in your free time? Because I'm sure you've got loads of it, Maeve. (laughs) Um, No. No, None. (laughs) I don't have much. Um, I do. I think exercise is really important. So um, not because of like how you look and you know it's more for your mind I think sort of I get up sort of a couple of mornings a week and do a boot camp um, with a PT called Geraldine McLean and she's local here and her so boot what camp time is do you fantastic. get up what do you do that uh, half six this oh. morning there yeah so okay. it's not too bad good woman um, but I try to do that I've, I'm obviously used to exercise I'm just joining a running club tonight actually I love running uh, I love music, podcasts, watching TV, spending time with my husband when we get it, um, uh, going for dinner. But most of all, out of anything, I just love being with the kids. Mm-hmm. Three beautiful little children. Um, yeah. You mentioned at the start the importance and the advice that you'd give to others around work-life balance and the importance of rest. I'd love to talk to you just a little bit more about that. Um, obviously, you're at a very busy stage when you've got lots of little ones running around, but do you think you've... You're nearly getting there with with the balance or is there anything that you feel that you want to talk to me about? I think um, there's just a lot of pressure on women and men um, these days. I think you have to 
look a certain way you have to be successful you have to be like we're we're obsessed with success mm-hmm. I think in careers and a lot of that's good a lot of that is is brilliant but a lot it puts a lot of pressure on people I think social media as well and the advent of you know comparison is the thief of joy as well I, I truly believe that that if you constantly compare yourself to other people then you're not really living your own life yeah so I think if you just sort of what I find anyway is just to live your own life and to live it in the way and, and be a mom in the way that you can be a mom. Like I went back to work um with my first two kids after six weeks. I went back to work with my third there after three months because I had a team. Um and I'm incredibly lucky to be a mom. I, I totally, you know, appreciate that and I'm so lucky. But it does come with its challenges and I have over the years now realised that even though I'm running my own business, I think a woman in any position now has that um that there are certain pressures that you have to just manage things as best as you possibly can. And, and then there's days the you just want to run to the hills and, and still cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can't, you know, we can't have it all. I, I think no. that's completely, you know, unachievable. And, yeah. you know, I'm an older working mum now. My children have, have flown the nest and they are only small for such a short time, but it is at that time that you're maybe building a business or yeah. working really hard and... I don't, there's no right formula no, at all. There really isn't, and I think just go easy on my. I've learned to go easier on myself, mm-hmm. and my husband's been great, um, and my mum, um, for that, to just sort of say, "Maybe you're doing great. Just stop putting pressure on yourself." Yes, I also heard that you know, eliminate choice. Stop looking at everything and, as you say, comparing all yeah, the time. Or yeah. what am I going to watch on Netflix tonight? There's just too much. <laughs> yeah. It'd be much better to write a list in advance and say, "We'll start with that." And yeah, if yeah. I stay awake, we'll maybe watch the next <laughs> one afterwards. But and we live actually. Um, we um, live on a bit of a farm. My husband's a bit of a far- part-time farmer, but I have learned to sort of relish in, in nature as well I know that sounds a bit cringe oh, no. but um, to just get out of the house just be. be in the, the wellies and get into the field and the muck and, and the just fresh enjoy air. the fresh air with the kids and just leave everything and honestly you come back feeling so refreshed and the work's always just going to be yeah, there but exactly. yeah, yeah, we definitely need to reclaim our life as well and definitely. I think COVID taught us taught a lot that. about that Maeve it's been so lovely to talk to you um, I asked the same final question of, of everyone uh, in the podcast studio and it's this the purpose of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as Mitso. So what advice would you give to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether that risk is worth taking? The first thing I would say is the risk is not worth taking unless you have passion. So you have to be passionate about what you're doing and you have to love it. If you don't love it, then it'll become very difficult. Um, secondly, I would say that you can always go back. So, you know, in those really early days and discussions, when I had a lot of fear about what I was doing and was I doing the right thing, um, we always sort of said and agreed, me, myself and my husband, we can always go back to full-time work. You know, there's nothing that awful that will happen that you can't just say, do you know what? I tried that. It didn't work out. I'm going to go back to full-time employment. And you know over the years when I've had the kids and things like that and you know I'm always like oh my god am I doing the right thing like we'd often joke well you're too late to go back now and and get maternity you wouldn't be getting maternity leave anyway so I would always say that but I think there are fantastic 
avenues out there for support. There's the likes of the GoFair program, there's Invest in I. I've been supported fantastically through, through programs like that. There's also grants that you can get for, you know, um, we we got a grant there for um, equipment um, and things to help us grow the business with whatever we needed um, from Deira there. Um, so there is always support out there. I would sort of the most important advice I, I would give to people is to build your network. Yeah. So your network is so important and to treat every single person you meet with respect, no matter what level they're at and who they are, because that is how you grow your business. And Absolutely. No man or woman is an island and no. uh, together we're stronger. All of those cliches, but they're actually true. Very much so, um, yeah. So reach out. And yes, I love the respect one as well. Maeve, it's been so lovely to have you here Thank as you. a guest on the Public Health Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Maeve today. I'll be back very soon with another fantastic episode of The Public Eye. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.